Well, good morning to you. This Sunday uh, has been designated by the Florida Baptist Convention as Champion Day for the Baptist University of Florida. Uh, that is our school, our convention of churches here in Florida owns the Baptist University of Florida, and so we are grateful for the impact our university is making uh, all over the world. Uh, I have a special place in my heart for the Baptist University of Florida. I have two degrees from that school, and I'm very grateful for the impact that God made on my life using the people at the Baptist University of Florida. Let me say to you that not only is our school for those who sense God's call upon their life to vocational ministry and they want to prepare for that, uh, that is still a major commitment of our university. But also a person who does not sense the vocational call of God upon their life can still get a very good education at the Baptist University of Florida. Matter of fact, I read a couple of years ago about one of the most robust educations that a person can get is in smaller private colleges. It teaches the crit critical thinking skills and this kind of thing that sometimes is missing in some of our public universities and sometimes even elite universities today. You go to the Baptist University of Florida and you're going to get a robust education. You're going to be challenged academically and you're going to be equipped with a worldview to even go into your career field and be a missionary for Christ uh, in your career field. You can get a business degree, an education degree, a psychology degree, a history degree, and then there's also graduate degrees from our university. There's even an athletic program in the works. The first thing is going to be softball. There'll be a, a softball program there at the Baptist University of Florida, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. So we're grateful for what God is doing. Our church supports our university through our budget, also through our cooperative program giving. And so I, I just want to say today, think seriously. If you can train for the field that you want to go into career-wise at our university, think seriously about sending your kids there. Pray about that because uh, you can really equip them to make a really big difference in, in the workforce uh, out in the world. So let's pray for our school. Also, I want you to pray with me. This week, starting tomorrow, is our uh, mobile dentistry clinic ministry that's happening. You probably saw the mobile dental unit parked over in front of the storage house. And so this week, starting uh, tomorrow afternoon through Friday, there's going to be appointments. Every appointment's been filled up, and so we'll have folks coming to have that need met uh, for uh, dental care. And at the same time, they're going to hear the gospel of Jesus. And so pray this week that we have great gospel conversations, people come to Christ, as well as they, they just sense the love of Jesus as this ministry need is provided for them. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much for our powerful time to praise you this morning through song, and now we open the Word of God and continue our worship. I pray, Lord, that you, Father, would use me in a powerful way to communicate the truth of your Word I cannot do this without you, so I pray for a clarity of mind and a clarity of speech. And I ask you to remove distractions, captivate our attention. Lord, I pray that you will speak into our lives as we talk about this most important subject of evangelism. We ask you this week to allow us to be able to minister to people and share the gospel with them in the dentistry clinic. We just ask your hand will be on that. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do. 
Lord, there are many in our church family who need a touch from you today, and I ask you, Lord, knowing exactly who they are, to touch them and uh, heal them, comfort them. And now, Lord, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when you came in, there were deacons ready to hand you a New Testament. But just like in the first service, many of you are very good at dodging deacons. And so many of you may not have received the New Testament when you came, and you're going to need that this morning. So if you did not get that the New Testament, some in the first service thought it was a Hershey bar. They were all excited about that. But if you didn't get one of those, would you raise your hand for just a moment? And uh, so you guys, y'all... If you just won't mind, keep that up for just a minute. Let them get to you, and they'll give you one of those because we're going to need that uh, in, our, uh, in our time today. Now, you see this table and chairs up here. It doesn't mean it's going to be such a long service that I'm going to sit down here and eat me a bite to eat and finish it up. It might be a long service, I'll tell you that. But, but we're going to have a little demonstration of how to share the gospel with somebody using the method we're going to talk about today. So we are going to need uh, that New Testament. So... I'm going to just wait just a, another minute or so. Anybody else need one? Everybody got one? Everybody good? All right, I think we're about to get them uh, disseminated. Well, take a look with me in your Bible at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, I'm going to speak this morning on the subject of reviving evangelism or a revival of evangelism. The mission of the church could not be any clearer than it is. It is very clear by the mandates the Lord Jesus Christ gave before He ascended back to heaven after His resurrection that we are to carry out the Great Commission. What's that Great Commission? Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. The Lord said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That mandate is to go and make disciples. In our text for today, our Lord put it this way, you shall be witnesses to me, or you shall be my witnesses. And so what we're to do is, if we're going to make disciples, that means we have to evangelize people. We must share the gospel. And we invite those people to believe on the Lord Jesus, repent of their sins, and surrender their lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior so they can have a relationship with Him. They have eternal life is the gift of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what it means to make disciples. Evangelism is essential for making disciples. We evangelize them, and then we teach them how to live for the Lord. The Word of God makes it clear the Lord Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to atone for the sin of the world. It is clear what we are to do, but can we be honest? Many of us are just not doing that. Matter of fact, it seems to me that few in the church today are really evangelistic. We're really sharing our faith on a regular basis. Matter of fact, Lifeway which if you're not familiar with what, what Lifeway is, Lifeway is, is an SBC, a Southern Baptist Convention entity uh, that provides literature and, and does research, uh, and they, again, are part of the, the SBC. And so in their research about people's engagement in witnessing to other people, their research has shown that less than half of churchgoers say that they have shared the gospel with someone in the last six months. 
So I want us to ask ourselves this question. Have we shared the gospel with someone in the last six months? Only about 10% of churchgoers say that they average about one gospel conversation per month. So only about 10% are on a monthly basis sharing the gospel with others. Those 65 and older are the age demographic most likely to say that they have not had a gospel conversation with someone recently. Young adults and middle-aged churchgoers are more likely to say that they have had a gospel conversation within the last six months. But what I would say is this, no matter what our age is in this room today or those connected with us online, I think most of us would agree that we're simply not sharing the gospel as we should. We often see what's happening around us in our culture and we bemoan that. But the only difference that can be made in that type of situation that we see around us is the impact of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the lives of people. And yet the ones who have been given the commission by the Lord to go and give that gospel to others, seemingly we are very complacent and we are not doing that. The book of Acts was written down by Luke, a physician and ministry partner of the Apostle Paul. Acts is a companion volume to the gospel of Luke. In Luke's gospel, he is writing there about the incarnation of Christ, the birth of Christ, the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. And then we get over into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. Luke said that in his former account, that's the gospel, uh, he recorded all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Now, I want you to notice something. The Word of God says, began. He began to do something, meaning that he has not yet still completed that work that he began to do. And that work is the work of making disciples. He's still doing that today. But you know who he's doing that through? His church. He does that through his church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27 tells us that we're the body of Christ. I talked about this last week. And that means the Lord Jesus is working through us. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We have a mission. It's clear. Make disciples, which includes evangelism. So look with me in your Bible at Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to pick up reading in verse 4, but the main text for today is going to be verse 8. Here's what the Word of God says. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in His own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The main idea of this message is all Christians have a clear call to evangelize. Now, let me give you my definition of evangelism. It is to tell the gospel of Jesus Christ and call on people to believe in Him and repent. That's basically what it means to evangelize. Now, the Lord Jesus rose from the dead and was with His disciples over a 40-day period. And the Word of God tells us up in verse 3 that He was teaching them about the kingdom of God in that 40-day period. Now, the kingdom of God is a very extensive topic to look at. But what I believe he's talking about here in this context is he's talking about the rule and reign of Christ in the lives of the redeemed. What I mean by that is when you get saved, you become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You become a citizen of the kingdom of God, and you live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so what he was teaching about, I think, during that time was about how to live for the Lord, how to be about the mission he's called them to be a part of and, and us to be a part of. He's talking about evangelizing, making disciples, living for the Lord, glorifying God. What a class that would have been to be in for 40 days when Jesus is teaching about all of those things. But he emphasized as his last point of emphasis to his people that they are to be his witnesses that they are to go and make disciples, that repentance for sins should be preached to all nations. That, that's what he said. And so, as one person said, the final command of the Lord Jesus should be the first concern of the church. What Jesus commanded should be our first concern right now. He emphasized our need to do this work. And so that requires us to be a part of evangelism. Now, there are three things in verse 8 that I want to give us about evangelism. The first thing is this. Evangelism is one of our foundational purposes. The Bible says in verse 8, you are to be witnesses to me. Or some translations say, you are to be my witnesses. Now, what we learn very early in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, in that first major summary of the church, we draw out of that five functions of the church. And one of those functions is evangelism. Verse 47 says, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That's the case. Then it meant that people were sharing the gospel. Because people do not get saved unless the gospel is being shared. And that was not just something the apostles did. Some people think it's only preachers or pastors, deacons or Sunday school teachers that are supposed to be sharing the gospel. All of us are. Now, you say, how do you know that? Well, certainly the Great Commission is for all believers. But listen, in the book of Acts, in chapter 7, we see the death of Stephen recorded. Stephen was the first Christian martyr, and he died because of his stand for the Lord Jesus. He died at the hands of unbelieving Jewish leadership. Um, after his death, the persecution broke out in Jerusalem, and 
the church, many of the church members left Jerusalem, but the apostles stayed behind, the Bible says in verse 4 of Acts chapter 8. So those church members, they begin to just go out in these outlying regions, and the Bible says as they did, they preached the gospel. They started telling other people about Jesus, and those folks started getting saved, and the, and the kingdom of God grew. So this is a work for all of us to do. The mission of the church is to make disciples, and again, that requires evangelism. In Acts 1.8, the Bible says, you shall be witnesses to me, and that's why sometimes we even call evangelism witnessing. Now, what were they witnessing of? Well, they were witnessing of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all that entailed. Verse 3, look over in verse 3 of chapter 1. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, they were, they were witnessing of the fact that Jesus Christ had been raised, which meant He was indeed the Son of God, which meant He was the only way to God, which meant He's the only way to be saved from sin. Now, they were introducing people to Jesus. I want to remind us of something. When we go out witnessing to someone, we're not just trying to witness of some religious system, not a list of rules and regulations, not, not just the way a person can have eternal life or they can go to heaven. We're telling people about Jesus. We're, we're talking about our Savior to them. We're, we're preaching the creator and sustainer of the universe, the captain of our salvation. That's who we're preaching about, not some religious system. That's why Paul said in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28, Him we preach, teaching every man, warning every man that we may present Every man perfect in Christ Jesus, the Word of God says. I want to introduce people to my Savior. And so we, we preach Jesus to them. Now, none of us have seen the resurrected Christ. It reminds me of what Jesus said. Thomas, you know, Thomas, he said, you know, Thomas the disciple, he said, I, I'm not, um, not going to believe until I see him. And the Lord appeared to him, and the Lord showed him his hands and side. You know, he put his hand there in his side, and he said, Oh, my Lord and my God. And then the Lord said, Well, Thomas, you believe because you saw, but blessed are those who, having not seen, yet still believe. That's us. That's us. We have a historical record of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and, and we have the experience of our redemption that we witness to. Let me just remind you of something this morning in case we've forgotten that I want to talk about the reality of resurrection for just a moment. Do you know that it is a historical fact that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, lived on this earth? I mean, there's no, no sane person that's rejecting that. Even unbelievers, people who don't believe that Jesus is who He, who he is, that they think He's just a, a starter of a religion, you know, he's a great teacher, but they agree that he existed, that he was on this earth. He's a historical figure. It is also a historical reality that Jesus Christ was crucified. The historical accounts of this are accepted widely even by people who are not believers. 
People who even reject the existence of God, they would still say that Jesus Christ was crucified uh, on a cross. But it is also a historical fact that Jesus Christ got up from the dead. He was resurrected. Matter of fact, uh, the historical record lets us know that there are over 500 people who saw him alive. And the presence of the resurrected Christ was so strong, it had major impact on people's lives. When Paul was writing in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he wrote in chapter 15 extensively on the resurrection. And he said there that the Lord had appeared to over 500 people. And he said at the time, many of those are still alive. So if you've got questions about it, you go talk to him. Basically what he's kind of saying, he's verifying the reality of resurrection. But I want you to consider the, the evidence for the resurrection. You see, there were people who were skeptics before the resurrection of Christ, like his own brothers, like the Lord's own brothers, James and Jude. They did not believe until after the resurrection. But the fact that the resurrection was so real that those brothers of his gave their lives to Jesus, realizing that he is who he claimed to be, they surrendered to him as the Lord and Savior of their lives, and they were so convinced by the reality of resurrection, they were willing to suffer and die to preach the resurrected Christ. Those early believers were so convinced by this resurrection that they were willing to leave their families. They were willing to lose everything they had. They were willing to travel the world and preach the resurrection, resurrected Christ. They, they were willing to suffer imprisonments, torture, and death. And they would not recant because they absolutely knew that Jesus was alive. Even his enemies admitted the tomb was empty. His enemies, the religious leaders of Judaism, when the guards came, the Roman soldiers came and told them, listen, here's what happened. And he rose, and they're saying, no, there's no way. You know, his, let's just say, you go tell everybody that his disciples stole him away. And that was kind of how they were going to explain it away. But there's no way, there's no possible way that that that's what happened to the disciples because why would they suffer through all they suffered through and be willing to, to die torturous deaths like many of them did if it was all a hoax? Why were they willing to, to go to such great lengths to preach Him no matter what it cost them? Because Jesus lives. That's why. I've never seen Him in His resurrection state. <clears throat> But I'm going to tell you this, I've seen him through the eyes of faith. It's like the old hymn writer said, you ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. I believe the historical account, and I could be convinced deeply, intellectually by that, but it was my experience with Jesus Christ that makes me know he is alive and well today. There is no explanation for what happened to me, but the Son of God changed my life. A resurrected living Lord made me alive. And I tell people now because of what He did in my life. We're introducing people to our Savior when people are special to us. What we'll often do is introduce them to someone else. This is my wife, Stephanie. I want you to meet her. This is my good friend. And we, because those people are special. Well, I'll tell you this. If you've been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ and you have an understanding of the reality of what's happened in your life, then we will want to tell other people about 
him. Henry Martin was a missionary to Muslims in India and Persia. He lived from 1781 to 1812. Here's what he wrote. He said, The Spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions, and the nearer we get to Him, the more intensely, intensely missionary we must become. In other words, when you are close to Christ, you can't help but tell, him, tell others about Him. You're compelled to tell others about Him. He is continuing to work through His people today. He's working through this church. He's working through you to introduce Him to others. Now, I want you to notice something in verse 1 again. The Word of God says that Luke recorded all that Jesus began to do and teach. What did He do? He ministered to people. He healed the sick. He cast demons out of those possessed, and he preached the kingdom of God. That's what he did. He's continuing to do and to teach through his church. The great miracle that he is showing to everybody today when he's using his church is the power of the changed life. When we are living holy lives and we are transformed from who we used to be to who we are now in Christ Jesus, and people see how we're living so differently, they understand the power of the gospel when they see that in our lives. That's why the Lord Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It is... It is a life lived in pursuit of God, a life lived in pursuit of holiness that shows the power of salvation to the world. If we're going to be effective witnesses, we've got to be living in what we're talking. I'm telling you, people this day and time, it, it, I don't even know if they ever have, but they're not going to believe. They're not going to believe the hypocrite today. They're not going to believe someone who's not living out what they're, what they're teaching. And I'll tell you, if we're going to be witnesses for Christ, then, then we surrender ourselves to Jesus, and He begins to live and work through us. But then also, we're going to be teaching. He's going to be giving us the power to share the gospel with other people. The Word of God makes it clear that that's essential. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we share the gospel with people. So it takes a holy life and a and a witness that is telling others about Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you something. When, when you and I do this, you need to understand something. There's going to be resistance, and that resistance comes from the enemy himself. You and I will be involved in spiritual warfare as we witness, and we're going to need power beyond our own abilities. And that leads me to my second point. Evangelism requires power. Verse 8 tells us where that power comes from. The Lord Jesus told His disciples they would receive that power through the Holy Spirit. Over in chapter 1, verse 5, the Word of God says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8, He said, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You may ask, How are we baptized with the Spirit? We are baptized with the Spirit when we receive Christ. 
The Holy Spirit's at work to convince us and draw us to the Lord. And when we surrender ourselves to Him, the Holy Spirit regenerates us. A new birth, a spiritual birth occurs. The Holy Spirit comes to live within us. He seals us as a guarantee of our redemption. We are baptized with the Holy Spirit. He comes in us the moment we come to know Christ as our Savior. But the Bible also tells us we're to be filled with the Spirit continually. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 tells us that. He wants us to keep on being filled. So He's always in us, but we need to always be at a point of surrender so He's filling us. How do we get to that point? We get to that point through surrendered lives, through engaging the Scripture and prayer to encounter God every day, and we submit ourselves to obey Him. And in those moments with God, we are filled with the Spirit. And He empowers us to live life and witness for Him. Lifeway has given us some other good research that kind of backs up this point that I'm trying to make to you. Uh, they have done a research, some research. Our women were exposed to this last weekend. Done some research on uh, Bible engagement and its effectiveness. Do you know if you spend only one day in the Bible, it has negligible change or impact on your life? If you spend two days, there's virtually no change. Three days, virtually no change. But if you spend four days a week involved in serious engagement with Scripture, it begins to transform that person. And one of the results of that transformation, their research has shown, is they, they become bolder in their witness. Why is that? Because in those moments, we're submitting to obey God, which the Holy Spirit fills us. And when He fills us, we are bolder then in our witness. Matter of fact, the percentage is we're, we are boosted in our witnessing 200% if we're spending at least four days in Scripture. 230% in how we disciple uh, others. There's also some other great benefits. Matter of fact, loneliness drops 30%. Anger issues drop 32%. Bitterness in relationships drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Sex outside of marriage drops 68%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. And viewing pornography drops 61%. With simple Bible engagement, as the Holy Spirit begins to feel and God's working and sanctifying and transforming a person. What are some of the reasons why we don't witness? Fear is probably number one, isn't it? Would you agree with that? Probably fear. I mean, every one of us, I've told y'all before that when I was first learning how to share my faith, we were going out on visits, and it was my turn to share the gospel that night, so I was going to lead the conversation and do all that. I was absolutely terrified, and I was even praying, Lord, please don't let them be at home tonight. <laughs> I mean, that was bad, but that's what I was praying. So fear of rejection but also a fear of making friendships awkward. So you got a close friend and you know that person's not saved and you want to talk to them about Jesus and you're afraid that if you do that, it's going to make everything so weird you're not going to be you know, friends anymore. 
But think about the alternative to that. Here we are with the hope of the gospel, and so we'd just rather them go to hell as to mess up, mess up that friendship. And that's just it's really dumb when you think about it, isn't it? We have a fear of being asked a question we can't answer. Well, let me just tell you something. I've been asked questions before that I cannot answer. So here's what you do. You just say, you know, I really can't answer that right now, but I will research that, and I'll find out, and I'll get back with you. That's all you got to do. But you got to get back with them. I mean, you can't just leave them hanging. Uh, we have a fear of saying the wrong things. We have a, maybe in our own personal life, there's a distance from the Lord, and, and that distance, that apathy, that unbelief is the cause and reason why we do not witness. We don't care enough about people to take time to do it. We have a lack of Christ-like love for the lost. But let me ask you this question. And any of those reasons, and there's probably more, as a matter of fact, some of those reasons came from y'all. We were putting out feelers and asking questions, and many of you responded back. Let me ask this question. Is there any of those things that the power of the Holy Spirit cannot overcome? What do y'all think? There's none of those things that the power of the Spirit cannot overcome. In Acts chapter 4, the Bible gives us an example of the first century believers being told they can't witness anymore, and yet they get the church together and pray, and as they're praying, the place where they were praying was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and guess what happened then? They went out and spoke the gospel with boldness. Where'd that boldness come from? You guessed it, the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you something I learned about the Holy Spirit years ago. In John chapter 16 and verse 14, the Lord Jesus taught this about the Holy Spirit. He will glorify me. That's what the first few words of verse 14 says in, in John 16. So, to the degree we desire to glorify Christ will be the degree the Holy Spirit of God is at work in our lives. See, when we get on fire to glorify Christ and introduce Him to others, let me tell you what will happen. The Spirit of God will enable us. He will enable us. He will give us power to witness. Let me show you a final thing. And that is evangelism has a clear plan. So evangelism is a foundational purpose. Evangelism requires power, and that power is made available through the Holy Spirit. And evangelism has a clear plan. Verse 8 gives us that plan. Our Lord said, You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now we see that begin to happen in the book of Acts. First seven chapters, they're spreading the gospel in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12 in Samaria. Chapters 13 on to the end of the book, to the end of the earth. Matter of fact, have you ever noticed how the book of Acts just cuts off, kind of? It's just kind of a weird ending. You know why? Because it's not closed out yet. It's kind of, in a way, still being written. Because the Lord's still working through His church. Doing this work that the, these first century believers were involved in. Now, the very fact here that 
the gospel is to, to go to all these areas speaks a couple of things. First, it speaks of the fact that how he desires for all to be saved. We see that, John three sixteen and 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. And then he gives us a strategy. Start at home and work your way out. Start at home. So we're to be evangelists in Chipley, Washington County, Northwest Florida region. That's our Jerusalem area. We're to be sharing the gospel. And then we go to our state, our country, and to the end of the earth. So we're to be involved right now, really witnessing strongly here. And we're involved helping the gospel go to the ends of the earth through our giving and our praying and our sending. There'll be folks called out of here even to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel. And we help disciple them, raise them up, and send them out to go and do that. And that's the work the church is to be about. We are called to be witnesses. So how, where does this begin? How can we begin to do this? Well, if you'll take your New Testament out and just take that cover off and open it up to the first blank page there, and I want you to write down some verses of Scripture, and uh, they're going to be on the screen for you, and so you can just write them down in the front of that uh, New Testament. And what I'd ask you to do later is I'd ask you to go home and then highlight all of those verses that we're going to give you today. And we're going to show you a way in which you can witness using these verses of Scripture. And what I would encourage you to do is to go back and, and listen to this portion of the service. And just in a moment, Caleb and Brock are going to come up here and kind of go through a witnessing encounter and kind of just do a, a little uh, role play kind of thing to, to help us see this in action. Uh, and you can just kind of watch that, see how the gospel is shared, and, and then just practice it. I used to practice sharing the gospel in the mirror. And I just, I, you know, I, I responded and got saved several times, witnessed to myself in the mirror. No, I'm just kidding. But you just go over it several times and just kind of pre keep preaching. And it just becomes a habit then to you to be able to, to share it like that. But let me give you these verses and just write them down. And I'll kind of I'll walk through a mock gospel presentation as you write these verses down. So we could be talking with someone and we could say to them, look, you know, you're very dear to me. I, I, you know, we're, we've, been, we've known each other for years. You're a very special part of my life and I'm grateful for you. But, but I, I want you, I just want to make sure that you know my Savior because uh, He is so dear to me and there's nothing more important than my life. And, and do you mind if I just, just tell you what the Bible says about being sure that you know Him and you have uh, life in Him? And then just take your New Testament out and say, you know, the Bible says, first of all, look here in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's desire is to give you life and he's made provision for that to happen. God loves you that much. But God is also a holy God. And so... Because of that, he has to punish sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So God must punish sin. And sin is the ultimate crime against God that must be punished. The problem with that for us Romans 3.23 tells us is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All 
That means, that means us. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God because they're sinners. The Bible tells us the very first human being sinned against God, and every generation of human beings since has been tainted by sin. And the Bible says right over here in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. That means what our sin has earned us is death. That means spiritual death. That means eternal separation from God paying for our sin. But the rest of that verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, God in His love made provisions so we could be forgiven of our sin and His justice could be satisfied. We see that over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4, where Paul's writing by the Spirit of God, and he says, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. He did that for you. And the Lord Jesus also said in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, that the kingdom of God is at hand, so you should repent and believe. What that means is we believe that Jesus really is who He said He is, and we believe what the Bible says about us, that we are sinners, and we're willing to turn from our sin and surrender to Him. The Bible says in Acts 3.19, Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sin may be blotted out. Romans 10.9 says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. There's only one way to be saved and have a relationship with the one true God, and it's through Jesus. Because He Himself said over here in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Would you like to call on Him to be your Lord and Savior? There's even a prayer in that New Testament in one of the first pages there that could kind of help you lead someone in that if that's what the Spirit of God is doing in their lives at that time. What might this look like? I'm going to ask Caleb and Brock to come and just kind of role-play this for us for a couple of minutes.